What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter to my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about the parable of the sower and some lessons we can learn from it. Uh, Christianity Now at 1 Chronicles 1, 2, 3, 2. That's the verse about the sons of Issachar. Uh, I got my blue check mark. We're going to try to see if we can grow on Twitter. We have a whopping, uh, how many how many followers on Twitter? We have six followers. So, yeah, don't mess with me. I've got six followers on Twitter. Uh, actually, I'd love to have 600. So if you could follow me on Twitter and and share and retweet and all that good stuff. In fact, it's not Twitter. It's Twitter. It's X, formerly known as Twitter. All right. Folks, let's let's take off. Folks, if you could be the algorithm for us and help us get back on track, share the live stream with your friends. Uh, let me get in here to uh, my notes. But before we go into our notes, we want to have a word from our sponsor, Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Um, are you part of a church congregation or any other organization that is seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event, contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. She specializes in designing modern events for, ad, for modern advertisements for churches and other uh, institutions, whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay's got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to allow your message to resonate both far and wide. Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. She will do a much better job on your advertisement than I did on her ad read because I'm all discombobulated. And here we go. Lessons from the parable of the sower. Folks, I'm not going to redo my intro. I'm just going to go back in and edit some of this for the finished product. Here's what we have. All right. I'm going to read the parable of the sower. Behold, verse 3 of Matthew chapter 13, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The idea of a parable. Good morning to you, by the way, uh, for those of you that are just coming in. Okay, the idea of a parable. The, the Greek word parable, or the Greek word from which our English word parable comes, is parabolos. Think about the mnemonic device. You know how you kind of roll a ball? Think about laying down something that's easily understood besides something that is more difficult to understand. So if I were to teach a, teach a lesson about the different types of hearts that men have, men and women, I should say mankind, that would be a difficult 
lesson to teach unless they had a really good parable, a really good illustration. Well, everybody in the world understands about different types of soils and stuff like that. So a sower goes out to sow. We, we get that. We, everybody understands in the first century there, whenever Jesus was speaking about how a sower would go out to sow, he would have a seed bag or so he'd have a sack of seeds and he would dip into that sack of seeds. He could be carrying it in the, in, in a, in a, in a pouch made from the front of his tunic or whatever, but he would dip into that sack of seeds and he would scatter seed. And this was broadcast spreading. This wasn't like planting individual seeds. For instance, whenever you plant watermelon or strawberries, you don't go out and you don't plant, you don't broadcast, you, you plant, um, you, you, you dig a hole and you plant the seed. Um, this, however, is different. This is just, you, you're walking along the field and you just cast seed. And usually this is for uh, like ground cover crops, like, uh, like wheat, soybeans. Um, I know wheat and soybeans in the United States is considered row crops. Uh, but before that was the case, I mean, it was, it was broadcast spread anyway. Uh, turnip greens are a good one and turnips, turnips are broadcast spread. I remember in my youth, I had two, uh, five acre fields, roughly five acre fields. And I planted those, uh, fields or sold turnips, turnips in those fields. And I had a, a satchel and a crank. And as I would walk, it would, this thing would turn and it would spit out those seeds. Well, some seeds invariably are going to go on different kinds of soil. So if I'm trying to teach a lesson about this abstract idea of the archetypes of people's heart, um, the issue is it's going to, um, it's going to be difficult to explain that. But if I'm using a parable, everybody knows about sowing seed and everybody knows about the different soils. In fact, uh, perhaps if Jesus during the day when he was teaching, he was teaching outdoors. He could even gesture to the fields off in the distance, and it would bring to mind people's understanding of something that they were very familiar with. So some of the seeds are going to fall by the wayside soil, this hard-packed dirt. Some seed is going to fall into ground that is not as good. It's stony. It's, it's, the, it's not very deep. Some seed is going to fall in ground on ground that is not tended because it's off the beaten path or whatever. And it's not, it's not the focus of the crop. It's not where the, the it, it's, it's where the plow and stuff hit, but it's not in the focal point of what's going to be tended by the owner of the field. And so other things are going to spring up with the good plant. And we understand about that. So we have these three types of soil that were negative. And then one type of soil is soil that's been cultivated, prepared, or curated, prepared, whatever you want to say. And that soil has the perfect condition for a plant to spring up and for that plant to grow into maturity. And then that plant will produce fruit. Notice in the parable of the sower. And here's the thing. Everybody can understand that. If you understand how seeds and planting and stuff like that work, you understand the parable of the sower. 
And we don't have to have this difficult, deep, abstract conversation about the archetypal types of hearts, of minds that people have. So then whenever we are thinking about what lessons I can garner from this, if I look at the different types of hearts, and it's hard for me to understand, but it's easy for me to understand the illustration of the sower, then that's what a parable is. I've laid down something very familiar with something a little unfamiliar, and it, and it helps me understand that which is more, more unfamiliar. So that's, that's how a parable works. So now let's talk about some of the lessons we can garner from this parable. I remember Dad planting peas with his two-row planter. That's it. Um, now, first off, one of the lessons we, we can garner from this is the receptiveness to the word. These different types of soil represents the various ways people receive and respond to God's word. The lesson here is about the importance of being receptive and, and, and nurturing a heart that retains and acts upon spiritual teachings. Um, Facebook user, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Yeah, that's uh, we we get to, we 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 understand this idea for, from this metaphor. So notice the lesson here is receptiveness to the word. And I've been putting out a lot of content lately about the power of God's word and how God works on the heart and mind of man through His word. And we're going to see from this from this parable that look at the sower, the sower that goes out to sow, and then. The, the seed is communicated, is distributed by the sower. There's no miraculous help. Whether or not the seed germinates, produces a plant that produces fruit, it's all up to the soil. The sower has done his part. Think about that. The sower has done his part when he sows the seed. Nothing else will work, nothing else will, will, um, what's up, the sword and pearl? Uh, nothing else, I, I'm just going to say it like this, and then I may have to change it. Nothing else matters. Now, whenever people hear me say that, I've been accused, well, Tony, you don't think the Holy Spirit exists, or you think the Holy Spirit is worthless, or, listen, that's not the case. According to the parable of the sower, the soils represent people's heart. What is the line of demarcation between the soils that produce a plant and the plant producing fruit versus the soil that doesn't produce a healthy plant or doesn't even produce a plant at all? It's the reception of the soil. All right? We have to be receptive to God's word. That's it. I have, I have said this, and I'm going to say it many, many more times because I would be interested in finding a pushback to this. The Holy Spirit communicates God's will through words. The Holy Spirit never 
never, ever in Scripture helps with understanding God's will through words. When, what I mean when I say that, uh, he does help with understanding God's will through words. In other words, um, let's say that you've got somebody in the Old Testament, they see a vision. Well, I don't know what the vision means. Well, the Holy Spirit might uh, inspire or reveal the meaning to that vision. But how does the Holy Spirit reveal the meaning to that vision where the person that received the vision can understand it? Through words. In other words, the, uh, oh, I can't think. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2, he had a vision in the night of this great colossus with a head of gold and then in descending value down to the feet, and the feet were of miry clay and iron. No, no, feet of miry clay and brass. Or is it miry clay and iron? I have to go look. Anyway, the king was troubled, so he called all his soothsayers and all his witch doctors and all his wizards and, and, and Chaldeans and educated people and he said, tell me the dream and tell me the, the interpretation. Well, none of them could do it because they didn't even know the dream. But yet Daniel said, let me take a crack at it. I, I don't know, but God's on my side and God knows. So the, the vision was revealed to Daniel, but also the understanding was revealed. But I put forth to you that the understanding was embedded in the vision and the Holy Spirit revealed the words to tell to Nebuchadnezzar. So it's not that Daniel had miraculous understanding of the vision. It's just Daniel had revelation from God in the form of words to tell to Nebuchadnezzar. That's very, very important, and I may need a more succinct way of explaining that. The Holy Spirit never miraculously induced people with understanding. They mirac the Holy Spirit miraculously, miraculously endued people with power, and the Holy Spirit miraculously endued people with revelation, the words. But the Holy Spirit never, never revealed the understanding of the words. The understanding was in the 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 burden of understanding was on the recipient of the revelation. Take for instance Acts chapter two with Peter. He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your fathers and to all those who are afar, and to your children and to all those who are afar off, as many as the Lord God shall call. He did not understand that statement because eight years later, roughly, he's praying on a rooftop in Joppa and he sees a vision where a, a sheet wrapped together at the corners has all manners of four-footed beast, and the Lord says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so. I've never eaten anything that was common or unclean. Three more times, or excuse me, two more times this happens for a total of three, and each time the Lord says, don't you dare call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. And Peter didn't know what he was talking about. And then these men from, uh, uh, is it Caesarea show up? And they go back to the house of Cornelius. 
And then you can read that account, and it dawns on Peter what that what that message meant. But Peter didn't know what it meant, and Peter didn't know what Acts chapter 2 meant, but all those that are afar off are the Gentiles, and according to Acts chapter 15, God used by the, the words of Peter, the preaching of Peter, to open the kingdom to the Gentiles by his mouth. So all of that, the Holy Spirit was directly involved in all of this revelation, but they didn't understand what it meant until they saw it play out. That's how important the word is. That's how important receptiveness to the word is. That's why we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God because we can have revelation from God all day long, but with no understanding, then it's it's worthless. If if you have this Bible here and you you keep this Bible and you hold it and you oil it and you carry it with you everywhere you go, but if you never understand it, it is this this book is worthless to you. I guess you could use it to hit somebody. But with no understanding, it's worthless. Some say Peter was being prejudiced. I think, like you said, he didn't understand. He had never done that before, and he had been raised differently. Yes, uh, that I, I, that is true. Hey, hey, Alabama, and I, I think, I think perhaps Peter was being a little bit prejudiced because the Jews were so one-sided; they were so myopic, and Peter was a Jew that that they didn't understand that the gospel was supposed to go to the Gentiles. They didn't understand the lesson that Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 11 where this branch from this wild olive tree had been cut off the wild olive tree and grafted in on the, on the curated olive tree, on the, on the domesticated olive tree. And I love the thrust of Romans chapter 11. Hey, listen, you Gentiles, don't think too high and mighty of yourself. Because just like I chopped off the, the 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 branch of the Jews and grafted you in, I can chop your branch off and graft somebody else in. So yeah, good good point there. But I think Peter was a little bit uh, prejudiced because he even said, if you'll look at Acts ten and eleven, he even said, "Look, it's it's unlawful for me to go into the house of a Gentile like this." But this vision's got me thinking, and. I think Peter probably misunderstood the overarching theme of the vision and probably interpreted the vision to say, you need to go with these men from the household of Cornelius, even though they're Gentiles. And then, of course, once you read this play out and everything, it, it really dawns on him when he says, oh, how can any man forbid water to people who have received the Holy Spirit just like we did, the gift of the Holy Ghost, just like we did. Anyway, good stuff. That's how important the word is, I guess. That and, and, and we get that from the parable of the sower. This is an interesting one. Perseverance in faith. The seeds that fall on rocky ground and among thorns depict those who initially receive the word with joy, but falter under pressure or distraction. And, and the pressure and distraction, the pressure would be the rocky soil. So the rocky soil, the seed germinates and, and puts up a plant, but the plant doesn't produce fruit. In other words, the sun beats down on the plant 
and it withers away. In other words, the sun puts pressure on it and it withers away because the roots aren't deep enough. The thorny ground, well, the seed produces a Christian, the, the seed produces a plant, I should say, but the plant doesn't have a chance to produce fruit because the thorny, uh, the thorns and the thistles grow up with it and they choke it out. Perseverance in faith. If you're good soil and you let the roots run deep and you really buy in and receive the word and remain faithful and remain in the word, then you're not going to fall prey to the thorny ground or the stony ground. And you're also going to not fall prey to the hard packed ground. That hard packed ground, that's the word doesn't even, the, the word is not received. Think about this four soils, three out of the four soils produce Christians, but only one out of the four soils produces Christians who remain faithful. They produce fruit. Let's talk about the, uh, well, f- let, me, let me finish this point. The need for steadfastness and perseverance in faith is taught in this parable because that's the, that's the thorny ground and the, and the stony ground. This also flies in the face of a certain Calvinistic teaching, once saved, always saved. Now, either these, 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 the seed grew Christians or they didn't. You can't say, well, once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, what about a Christian who gets saved and he goes back out in the world and rebels against God? Well, then that person wasn't saved to begin with. Well, now, wait a second. Luke 8, 11, the seed is the word of God. That's the, that's the chapter in, in Luke that, that gives the, seed, the, the parable of the sower. The seed is the word of God explicitly stated by Jesus Christ. So if, if, if the seed enters into a heart and produces a plant, then that person's a Christian, is he not? According to the parable, he is. According to the parable, he's a practitioner of the religion of that dispensation of time. In other words, a plant is grown. Well, if once saved, always saved is true, then even if you're in the stony soil or the, or the thorny soil, God's going to preserve you, and your plant will never wither and die. You see how that works. Folks, once you obey the gospel, you can absolutely turn your back on God and go back out into the world. You have free moral agency. You have the ability to do that. Uh, Let's talk about faithfulness of true understanding. So the seed that falls on good soil and yields a crop symbolizes those who hear the word, understand it, and produce a rich, fruitful life in accordance with it. It emphasizes the transformative power of truly embracing and living by spiritual teachings. What is the difference between the thorny ground and the stony ground versus the good ground? The good ground is an open and honest heart, willing to do and desiring to do what God wants us to do and living in accordance with God's will that can be ascertained through his divine commands, examples, precepts. All right. Spreading the word. Oh, I like this one. 
the sower indiscriminately spreads the seed, suggesting the importance of sharing the word of God broadly without prejudgment about who will receive it. I'm going to I'm going to read a text in the book of Romans that uh that scares me to death and I'm going to share with you a story that I heard from somebody else. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Oh, that's Romans 2, wrong verse. All right. Uh verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God, now listen, this is the verse of interest. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So these men in the long ago who had the truth of God revealed to them, and I put forth that this is during the patriarchal age, so these heads of house that are descendants of Adam, they are the head of their families, and they have had revelation given to them about God. They, The King James Bible says, hold the truth. And if you see what I'm doing, hold the truth. I'm pressing something down. The word there is not hold like I'm holding my cup. It's hold like I'm, 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 I'm suppressing it. I'm holding it down. I'm holding it back. Like hold your horses. Well, hold your horses means wait, stop, don't move. Restrict. That's what the word is used for. So if it is the case, that you know the truth of God's word and you meet somebody and you discriminately make a decision that this person doesn't isn't going to be receptive folks the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I don't want to be in that camp. And I have been in that camp. I've I've relayed the story about how my biological father, I made a conscious decision not to talk to him about Jesus because I didn't want to strain our earthly relationship. And he died very suddenly. He died in his thirties. I'm 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 over I'm I'm more than ten years older than he was when he died right now. And I've lived with that for a long time. And I know that I've been forgiven because the blood of Jesus is powerful. But let me tell you something. It bothers me. Probably shouldn't anymore. Probably need to. I mean, I, I, I think about Paul and that thorn in his flesh. I keep going to Jesus and Jesus says, look, my grace is sufficient for you, but I still lose sleep over it. That's not even the story I wanted to tell you. Let me tell you a different story. At the Memphis School of Preaching, we have guest speakers in chapel from time to time. And one of the guest speakers while I was there, uh, during my, during my second year, uh, the, the final year, you're there for two years. It's a four year co- college course. It's four years of college courses crammed into two years. 
Um, but while I was there, my second year, we had a guest come speak in chapel. And he talked about how whenever he was graduated high school or whatever, he was working at um, something like Advance Auto or O'Reilly's Auto Parts, but some kind of retail store. And there was this co-worker that he, he said, man, I really liked him. We were buddies, but he was into drugs. He was a heathen. And I was just like, I'm not going to talk to him about Jesus because there's no way he would be receptive. I'm like, okay. And he said, I, he, he went somewhere. I went somewhere. We fell out of contact. And then I decided years later to go to Memphis School of Preaching. And on the orientation day, as all of the new students during chapel get up and say, hey, my name is John. Uh, hey, hey, Alabama says, I think we all let things bother us for a long time. Absolutely. So um, here's the deal with the guy at Memphis School of Preaching. During chapel on your first year, you come up and uh, during orientation chapel, everybody jumps up and says, hey, my name is Tony. I'm here with my wife, LaBeth, my children, Anthony and Abigail. Here's Anthony and Abigail's age. Uh, the people that influenced me to come to the Memphis School of Preaching was uh, Clint Monroe and Brent Arnold, uh, the preacher and at the time a deacon of the uh, Greenfield Church of Christ in Greenfield, Tennessee. And I'm here because I can't do anything else. I got to preach. All right, so that's it. Well, this dude stood up during chapel and gave his name, who he's here with, and why he decided to come. And he said once chapel was over, uh, he felt a peck on his shoulder, and he turned around, and it was this dude that he worked with at the Advance Auto Parts store, wherever it was, that he said was so heathenistic that he didn't even teach him or try to teach him about the Bible because he wouldn't obey the gospel anyway. And he said, I judged him. I was prejudiced against him, and I judged him, and I decided not to try to get a Bible study with him because he didn't. I didn't think he'd listen. And lo and behold, not only did he obey the gospel, but he beat me to preaching school by a year. This dude was a second year when he was a first year. Is that not amazing? And he said, so let me tell you something. Whenever we sing, whenever we sing that song, you never mentioned him to me. I think about it. When in the better land before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be. If any lost one there should cry in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. We need to indiscriminately broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not need to make judgments about who will be receptive and who will not. What's the worst that could happen in today's time in Western culture if you take a chance and introduce somebody to Jesus? Well, the stakes are getting higher and higher. Maybe 20 years ago, not a thing would happen. They just wouldn't talk to you as much. Today, in 2023, coming into 2024, you might be fired from your job. Well. How does that stand up to the reward of eternity? Maybe a lot more of us Christians need to act more like Muslims. You know, Muslims will practice their Islamic faith and the world be damned. 
They don't care. Do you think the mosque shut down during COVID? Do you think the mosque shut down during COVID? I was in Toronto in 2020, one of the most liberal cities in the world, I guess. So draconian were their COVID restrictions. And I would get out and I would ride my bike up and down Danforth in Toronto. And I would ride my bike by a mosque. Those people never shut down. And the powers that be didn't bother them. Do you know why? Because it's going to be more trouble than it was worth. Because those Muslims were willing to lose their job, to be ostracized by society, to look, quote-unquote, bad in the news. And they were willing to use every avenue and tool at their disposal to maintain their right to freely practice their religion. And we had Christians who decided to continue to meet whenever the law got a hold of them All of their fellow Christians forsook them, saying, you shouldn't be such a troublemaker. There's going to be some of you bust hell wide open over your COVID mess. I didn't mean to get off on that. But anyway, the thing about it, we have to broadcast the message indiscriminately, and we have to do it regardless of the negative consequences for ourselves in this world. Because according to what Paul wrote, the world to come cannot compare with that which is temporal, that which is temporary. Tony, God is such a good father. Is there anything too big for him? Ask his forgiveness for your late dad for his grace on him so that your dad can be saved. It's worth asking. Um, I, I really appreciate that sentiment, but... um. I mean, I I know that my dad died outside of Christ. And if, if God saved my dad after he's dead and he has gone to torment, then the whole fabric of our faith would unravel and we would have no faith because that would mean that God went against something that he has revealed, that he has revealed. He, he went against his word. Psalm 138, verse 2, uh, the psalmist writes that thou hast magnified thy word even above thy name. So God cannot even make an exception to the gospel because his word says A, and the exception would be B. And God is bound by his word. And he says, here's how people are going to be saved. You have to obey the gospel. And sadly, my dad has never obeyed the gospel. And uh, he died in that condition. And we just live with that. I appreciate the sentiment greatly. And it's, I appreciate that. And it's, um, you know, the, the judge of all the world, the judge of all the earth is going to do right. And sadly, um, sadly, he's, uh, the right thing is the thing that hurts the most. The right thing is 
here's 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 the choice that that this man made. Anyway, I'm gonna I wanna move on from that. I understand Tony still, he's overcome death. Just pray on uh brother love you. I appreciate that sentiment. All right. So um here here's let's let's recap some of the things that we've learned from this parable today. Um receptiveness of the word. Listen, the Holy Spirit revealed the will of God through words, and it is up to us to understand them. We have to be receptive to them. We have to be like those noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17. We have to receive the word with all readiness, and we have to scrutinize the word. And uh, then we we have to understand that our faith, our walk of faith preserves us we are not preserved by some miraculous manifestation or working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Nope, that's, that's a good verse. That's not the one. Hold on a second. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's Psalm 119. I can't, I, I'm, I'm discombobulated and I cannot think of the verse. But just go look at Psalm 119, read it, you'll find it. Uh, thou, uh, thou word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Our actively following the word of God is what preserves us. It's what keeps us growing and producing fruit. And then faithfulness of true understanding. The seed that falls on a good soil and yields a crop symbolizes those who hear the word, understand it, and their lives are changed by it. It emphasizes the transformative power of truly embracing living by the spiritual teachings that are in God's word. And then, of course, spreading the word. We have to spread the word indiscriminately. We cannot judge whether or not somebody will receive the word. We've just got to spread it. We don't judge the soils. We just spread the word. And as somebody put it in the comment section, God's going to give the increase. So anyway, uh, I really appreciate all of your kind attention. I appreciate the comments. Be sure. Oh, Iva Potter, good to see you. Uh, Be sure and follow us on Twitter. Uh, Just for the next minute or so, I'm going to put up the, uh, the tip jar. Uh, as you are considering your finances for 2024, please consider supporting us on uh, Substack for $5 a month, Patreon, buy me a coffee, or just send it right to nearchurches at gmail.com through PayPal. Uh, thank you so much. Listen, uh, we're really thankful. I'm, there was something in my head that I wanted to say before we closed, but I don't have it. Anyway, remember, Substack. All the articles there are free. Uh, I'm going to put out soon some uh, exclusive members-only content for our paid subscribers and such, so be looking for that. Uh, Other than that, that's all I've got here. Let's let's follow the parable of the sower. I remember now. Listen, Luke 8, 11, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And then when I look at... uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Folks, the way you make a Christian 
is you disseminate the information in the Bible. And if it falls on good soil, a plant grows and produces fruit. Folks, it's the working of God. Make no mistake about it. And that's all we've got. Thank you, Scott Beck. Thank you, Sword and Pearl, for your kind and encouraging thoughts. Um, sorry we had the, the, the mess up at the beginning. I am so excited that the Riverview Church of Christ, we're going to be ordering 50 of those Bibles. Plus, we're ordering, I'll just go ahead and tell you, um, it looks like we're ordering uh, 50, 58 Defending the Faith Personal Carry Edition, and we're ordering one Defending the Faith Genuine Leather Thumb Indexed Bible because we have uh, 50 of them are being paid for by the congregation, but eight of the personal carry are um, going to be for, for members, and one, uh, the, the leather study Bible, is for one of our new converts. We've had uh, two new converts recently, and we're working on two more. Um, <laughs> this is some exciting stuff. And incidentally, the Riverview Church of Christ after the year 2024, will no longer be receiving any support whatsoever from congregations in the states, with the exception of one congregation, I think, that wants to uh, support us with the house-to-house, heart-to-heart. And we, w- we would love that. But as far as being a functional congregation, after 2024, we'll no longer need that. And that's amazing. So if you want to if you want to help during 2024, send me a private message, and I will get you the information to do that. Uh, supporting this, supporting Christianity Now is great, but that does not support the gospel in Riverview. That supports Tony Brewer and Aaron Dotson. All right, uh, but if you want to support the church, by all means, get with me, and I'll give you the information to do that. Uh, Facebook user says, "I'm excited for your growing congregation." I am too. Keep keep it keep it in your prayers. All right, guys. That's all I've got here. Be sure to subscribe to Cogitations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. And thank you. Be the algorithm for us. Like, share, and all that good stuff. And God bless you. And we'll catch you on the flip side.